0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to another episode of The Small Business Surgeon. Happy Monday. I hope everyone is doing fantastically this week. Guys, today I am joined by a lady who has fast become a friend of mine owed oh, to the Apex Network. Please welcome the mortgage queen herself, Miss Jill Underwood. Jill, welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be sitting here with you today.
0: Hey, man, it's it's been a while. I'm glad I've got you on. And uh, you guys are going to realize throughout this show that Jill has one of the most infectious laughs in the business. <laughs> See, there she goes again. Uh, I won't even mute it. Um, so, Jill, welcome to the show. So, you are... You are the mortgage queen. You are working on your first book. You're a podcaster as well. I don't even know where to begin with you. Tell us a little bit about the mortgage queen and let's kind of unwrap your story as how you got there and a little bit of your past.
1: Well, I have not been the mortgage queen for very long, but my story goes way back to the 1980s, um, maybe even before then. My mother was a real estate agent. (laughs) And when I was a young teenager, waiting for mom to drive me around somewhere, I ended up sitting in her real estate office a lot and I just watched and learned. So when I was 13 and 14 years old, she would teach me things about equity and Mm -hmm. negotiation and how to keep buyers and sellers happy. And you know, (laughs) Um, so to this day, my job is to keep people happy. But that's how I got in the real estate business and the mortgage business to begin with. No way. It was from my mother.
0: Well, I didn't know you had a background in real estate. So now this podcast is going to get even more interesting.
1: I actually was a licensed broker in the state of Texas for many, many years. I didn't actively full time sell real estate, but what I did is I hung a lot of licenses from other people mm-hmm. who were not, you know, officially active full time, but right. they needed a place to hang their license. And the only reason why I got my broker's license to begin with is because mom and I wanted to have our own real estate office. And it was back in the day when Buyer Agency was first born.
0: Oh, right on so buyer side agency for those that don't know is is what exactly it's when a real estate agent represents a buyer and they get a a percentage of the proceedings from the seller and why was that not a thing in the 80s and how did it become a thing in texas because that to me is quite interesting because real estate in england and i have English friends that have called me for counsel on, on real estate sales. Real estate in England has no buyer representation whatsoever. So how did that come about in Texas?
1: If I recall correctly, it was, it started with an attorney. They, you know, the, the, the commission, the realtor commissions mm-hmm. are paid by the seller. And so therefore the real estate agents are legally bound in the seller's best interest. And if I recall the story correctly, as my mother described it, there was an attorney who realized this and decided that they wanted their own representation. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, buyer agency was born. And so what she and I wanted to do back then was to have a buyer agency company because that was a thing. But it never materialized for us. Not sure why, but it didn't. But mom and I, we made a really good team together. Mm -hmm. because she had so much knowledge and she was really really good you know with buyers and sellers on both sides and i was her loan officer so we did have that as a team together for many years you
0: kept you kept it all in the family huh
1: well you know husbands and wives do that (laughs) yeah well that's the
0: thing you see me i I sell i sell quite a bit of real estate i've got a, a lot of buyer side clients i get more joy um out of buyers because I believe as, a, as an agent, it's, it's it's my job to stand between the client and the deal. And on the sell side, there's a lot more stress, and on the buyer side, there's a lot more excitement. And uh, yeah, honestly, I like being a part of the excitement and the process and the joy. So uh, I do go for buyers. And boy, if I had a if I had a partner that was uh, that was a mortgage broker here in town, we we'd do really well. Right now, I I, uh, I go with the most reliable, dependable mortgage brokers that that do what they say and show up on time, and it's great but they're all married to realtors. The female ones are married to male realtors, the male ones are married to female realtors, and every, I, I see exactly how it works. I mean, It's a great business model, it just, uh, you know, I don't really want to marry a loan officer, so what do I do?
1: You, then you call me, you know I'm licensed in Texas. I, I actually, did not. I, do, no, I, did not. I do a lot of business in Texas, did because not. I still have a lot of family and friends there. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll, a... we'll, we'll talk <laughs> offline, there it is. <laughs> And I promise you won't have to marry me.
0: <laughs> I, uh, good, good. I've got nothing. I'm not even touching that. Like, I don't Another know, thing man. thing to edit out. I, I, I don't know. Like, how, how many mortgages a year are we talking? Because, you know. There's <laughs> that laugh again.
1: Oh my gosh, we are just hilarious today, aren't
0: we? Well, yeah, I I hope that uh, that the listeners are enjoying their Monday morning drive to work and enjoying listening to us laugh. Um, But you do, you just kind of make make people feel naturally warm and and, and comfortable around you. Um, Is that something you've honed over time? Because my confidence didn't come until my, you know, really in the last three or four years, I've got way better at sales and articulation and empathy. How did you generate? Generate that kind of warmth and and, and almost the feeling. Like this is probably the third or fourth time you and I have talked. And I and I feel like I've known you forever. I mean, that's obviously a skill set.
1: I think a lot of it did come from just hanging out so much with my mother. She was just like that. She could, she just taught me that you when you go to a party, you just talk to people. And I learned in my twenties to ask a relevant question to somebody. Mm -hmm. And because ultimately people love to talk about themselves, right? And when you ask a question and they just talk to me and I just listen. And so I think it's just something that has grown in me over time, but you've got to realize too that in my job as the mortgage loan officer on the front lines, meeting with people face-to-face, I have to ask a lot of very personal questions.
0: Absolutely, I kinda, yeah.
1: I kind of jokingly say that it's a financial colonoscopy, and I try to make it feel good. But it's true, right? <laughs> See, I would have I I said, well, this
0: loan office is going to crawl right up your ass, so <laughs> goodness me. You're so much more eloquent than I am. I mean- a financial <laughs> colonoscopy. Write that down, guys. That's what happens when you apply for a loan.
1: And and I'm gonna make it feel good, so you oh, know. Oh, good
0: lord! <laughs> what kind of show is this? A <laughs> oh, good lord. Oh Sorry. my gosh!
1: But no, but I will say though that honed over time, over many years. Yes, my number one skill set is the ability to make people feel comfortable.
0: I, you know, I mean, look at look at us. You, you've made me feel um, immensely comfortable, and. Well, well, thank you. Um, but as what advice do you have for somebody that's trying to do that? Because you want to sit there and ask people questions about themselves and you want to kind of build a rapport and build a relationship. What's the best way you found to do that?
1: Throw the ball back fast. And what I mean by that is when you're in conversation with someone, especially someone new, Mm -hmm. and I think a a lot of times, especially in business, it's someone's nature to, um, you know, yes, I'll ask them a question, listen, they give the answer, and then they ask me a question. And when someone asks me a question, I have a tendency to answer kind of quick and then throw the ball back to them and ask another question back of them. Mm -hmm. But but that's because, and, and even to do this podcast right here with you asking me questions, it's so hard for me to talk about me because I'm always talking and I'm listening to others. Mm-hmm. But, but what I've learned in my, in my trade, in my business, is to just toss it back and ask another question and take, take the eyes off of me, throw it back to you.
0: No, I, I can see that I can see that I mean you you have your own podcast and we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit but this is uh, this is your time tar- this is your turn sorry your time uh, to tell your story you know we want to know about Jill Underwood and uh, how she got to where she's at so um, let's go back to the 80s and you're working in real estate and you're doing some sales you're doing some mortgages were you more mortgages more sales how did you how did you find your niche? And was it your passion at the time?
1: That is a great question. And I have a great story.
0: Let's go, man. I love stories.
1: I, <laughs> when I got um, out of high school, I really didn't have the opportunity and didn't know how to do the big Let's go to university in a four-year college. Mm -hmm. So I went to night school at Richland Junior College, and I knew I wanted to get into real estate. And back then, you had to have a degree in real estate in order to get a broker's license. But what happened when I got to the real estate finance class, and it was taught by Sammy Gill, Sammy Gill was, of course, a friend of my mom, mm-hmm. and she was a senior vice president at Fort Worth Mortgage. Okay. And I just, I loved the real estate finance class, and I loved it because I'm really good at math, and it was a lot of math, and it was a lot of, you know, learning, you know, the, the history of FHA, because I kind of like history, I'm kind of mm-hmm. geeky about yeah. things like that, and so in our circle, in the class, everybody, like, cheated off of my test, and <laughs> I just, I just, just real estate finance just clicked with me. And when I handed my final exam into my professor, I said, will you hire me? And although I kind of blew the interview, she hired me anyway, I think as a favor to my mother. Mm -hmm. And so what that told me is that I had to show up every day and work my ass off to make something of myself. I couldn't ride on the coattails of my mother the rest of my life. And I started as a receptionist and I worked my way up the ladder. So every six months they promoted me. And so it took a couple of years and I became a loan officer. And that's just, I just fell in love with that because now I get to talk to people. I get to go out and see real estate agents. Mm -hmm. You know, I get to, you know, teach realtors how how to understand the mortgage business and and what they need to know when they write their contracts. And I just, I just, it was like, that's my groove. That's my jam. That's my gig. And I've done it ever since. (laughs) Right. But I love helping the people. There's nothing more gratifying than to have a person or a couple buying their first home Mm -hmm. and they're so grateful and they cry and they laugh and they jump up and down. That just, it just warms my heart every time. And that's that's why Mm -hmm. I'm here because there was one time I remember it just specifically, this woman it was her first house and she like I told her your loan's approved and she was in my office we we're face to face and I walked her to the lobby and we said goodbye and she closed the door and I heard her outside of the door of my office jump up and down and scream mm-hmm. with delight and I was like that's it that's why I'm on this planet that's yep.
0: it I mean that's that's exactly the joy that I was talking about earlier in working with those kind of people, the people that are super, super excited to get their house. Maybe they didn't think they could buy a house. And maybe you're the mortgage expert that said, hey, actually, if we move this here and put this there, you know what, we can show a little bit of income here, and guess what, we can qualify you. Yep. And um, just yep. the sheer joy—that's why I prefer buying clients over sellers. Um, and you know, I've got a lot of realtors that'll argue with me on that, but but it it, it it's my it's my joy, and uh, it's it, it's part of my core influences. So, talking of the word core, you made it sound very much like as a young lady, you figured out the uh, the weight of the top was hard work and showing up on time and being committed. How about you share a couple of your core values with us and uh, let us know exactly what they've done for you in your career.
1: You have to always follow through with what you say you're going to do. You have to be consistent in, in making your calls. You, you just, and you have to know your stuff. Mm -hmm. For me, um, I know how to put a loan file together. I know my guidelines. I know my stuff. I don't just, throw shit out there and see if it sticks to the wall. (laughs) I know that when I tell you that you qualify and your loan is pre-approved, it's going to stick unless somebody dies or loses their job. When a real estate agent sees my name on the pre-approval letter, I want every realtor to know that Jill Underwood knows her stuff and it's going to happen unless somebody dies or loses their job. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying that because people ask me all the time, oh, Jill, what, you we're scared to death. What could possibly go wrong? Well, you could die. <laughs> and then, that's kind of a disqualifier. But, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but the core values for me in answer to your question is just you've got to show up and shine for your people.
0: I completely agree because, uh, leaders lead from the front, man, you know, so, uh, all right, what's next? Where do we go from here? Because I know you've got a book coming out that you want to, uh, talk about. Um, I know that you've got a podcast where you have guests and, uh, you know, I know a couple of other things too. So where would you like to take this conversation, my dear?
1: Well, but let's start with the book. The book is still yes. really in the early stages, but it's, it's a deep dive into the real estate and mortgage business it's not just here's how to get a loan post pandemic no it's a deeper <laughs> than that <laughs> i i want i want to share with people um, some things like you know everybody has bad things happen in life we all have i mean people get cancer and they lose their jobs and uh-huh. you know all kinds of things that can take you into a nosedive financially and so part of my book, there's a section about how to come out of that, right. you know, how to come out of a foreclosure or a bankruptcy and, and rise up again. Um, there's a section that I've got in there um, about geeky mortgage history. It's fascinating to me where we were in the 1980s and where we are today. And there realistically is a correlation between then and now. And so it's a deep dive into some there's fascinating aspects of real estate. So I'm stoked about it. I think I'm a good six months out from anything major happening, but we, we have it outlined. I'm writing, I'm meeting with my, my editor. It's so cool to say, I have a book editor. (laughs) That's really kind of cool for me. So, because I I love to write. So this is the first of what will be many, many books of other topics as well
0: man i'm intrigued now because you know i obviously didn't know the topics of your book but i'm i'm very keen on the history of transactions and how we've how we've managed to uh, to evolve those over time and obviously a lot of things you see in contracts today are the result of bad things happening in contracts prior to this and i just happened to be in the british museum one time in london walking around just a few years ago and there is a uh, there's a copper tablet in there which, uh, which is one of the, uh, they, they got it out of some ruins or some, some shit, 1200 BC, the first oh, wow. recorded evidence of a mortgage from a copper tablet. So I thought that was really, really cool. It's over at the, the British Museum. If you wanna go deeper into the history of mortgages, I think that's where you start, right?
1: You know, that's fascinating. That really is. That would be so cool to see.
0: So w- what's changed between the 80s and now? Like, what's, what's so different about buying a house?
1: Um, Fed policy, interest rates, values. Were the interest rates
0: in the 80s like as high as they say? Because I wasn't obviously uh, buying houses. What was a typical interest rate in
1: the 80s? Um, 18. This is kind of interesting. 18%? How'd you pay
0: for the house? That's like buying it on a credit card. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, just swipe my Discover. It'll be fine.
1: Well, the the maximum fha loan amount back then was like 67,000ish oh
2: okay so, all right
1: you know so, so it, values were much lower then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting i have this chart it's a correlation between interest rates and the national debt. Mm -hmm. So back then we have very low national debt and interest rates were very, very high. And it's an interesting chart. I'm gonna have it in the book. It's um, prepared by MBS Highway. Thank you, Barry Habib. But what I did is I took the the chart one step further and I put the pictures of the presidents at each timeline and who was president then Mm -hmm. because there was a huge difference in uh, the the days of Jimmy Carter, when we had high high inflation and high high rates, and then when President Reagan came behind him, and then we you know completely changed the economics, and it's just things like that that'll be in there that are just it's just interesting to me. It might not be interesting to anyone else. What's but interesting to be, me? it be completely like, fascinating, right? Yeah,
0: like I'm interested to know. Right? Here's here's a question. <laughs> I haven't come from that, right? Um, let's say. I, damn, I'm so out of touch with reality. Let, let's say the average, <laughs> let's say the average wage is a, a five thousand dollars a month take home, and let's say now the average mortgage payment is fifteen hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. um, which is going to make it, you know, let's say six thousand. Then it makes it twenty five percent. What's what's the difference between the mortgage payments in the '80s as opposed to the mortgage payments now? Is it still about twenty five percent of their income, thirty percent of their income? What, uh, have we seen much escalation there?
1: We have seen a lot of escalation. Back then, they, it, was, it was a box. The guidelines were this little box and you had to fit inside that box and there was no getting out of the box, right? Mm-hmm. And back then, it was 20, 2836. The house payment could be no more than 28% of your gross monthly income mm-hmm. and the house payment plus your debt could not be anything more than 36% of your gross monthly income. And right. there was no wavering on that at all.
0: And there wasn't as much car financing back then either, was there? So people weren't carrying nearly as much consumer debt.
1: Well, cars back then were a lot cheaper. They were cheaper, if you yeah. had, If you had a car, your payment was maybe $80 a month.
0: Oh, I'd love that.
1: I know, right? I remember my dad had this car, and it was $80 a month, and he wanted to give it to me. And I was like, I can't afford $80 a month. Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so,
2: Good so it's just,
1: But everything is just completely different now in terms of, the amount of revenue people make, the amount of wealth people have amassed. For Mm -hmm. example, here's another interesting thing about real estate. If you remember back in 2007, 2008 and that crash, Mm -hmm. A lot of what happened in that crash was because people were completely financed to the hills, right? Yeah, yeah, they were no doubt. 100% financing, 125% financing. the, the houses were
0: going up was, all the time, they are like oh take good, some out. equity out, take some equity go on vacation. Yes, here, yeah, here's go, a free go, loan. go, go yeah. right. Mhm, I remember. And everybody
1: it. Yeah, and everybody was financed up. Yeah. Today that won't that's not going to ha- I don't see that happening. I should I should rearrange it. <laughs> I don't foresee us getting into that again, right. because right now the amount of equity that people have in their properties is far greater. People on the average right now have about 30% equity in their properties as opposed to zero. Is that to, that
0: do, is that to do with the inflation we've we've seen over the last two to three years?
1: I think it has to do with smarter consumers, personally. It also has to do with, we have different guidelines now Yes. Guide, yeah. And guidelines change all the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. I have my guidelines books right here behind me and I refer to them all the time, all the time. I bet, an yeah. Answer, in answer to your question when we were talking about the relationship between your payment and your income. Yeah. Um, right now you can get approved with up to 50% debt versus income.
0: That's, that's stout. That's pretty strong.
1: (laughs) Right, right, it can be. So, but it's just, it's a whole different world out there in terms of guidelines, um, Fed policy, interest rates, and you know, and people sometimes, I mean rates, you know, it's a 3% on a 30 year fix. I've got one right now I'm fixing to do, it's like two and an eighth on a 10 year. That's practically free. I know, right? And sometimes people will bitch about it. Chill, really? Three and an eighth? Really? That's so high. No, 18 is high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. So we're very, we are very spoiled with interest rates right now. We've well, very, we're very spoiled
0: even in in 2005 when I bought my first house and you know my my credit score was in the in the mid sevens and my, my income was good and uh, we were we were approved for three hundred and thirty thousand dollars and you know we, we were looking at 120 thousand dollar houses, which then now is probably the equivalent of a probably a 220, 250 thousand dollar starter home. And I remember my interest rate was 5.85 percent. We thought that was amazing. They'd given us the best deal ever because you know back then it was six, seven percent. And then uh, three years later we refinanced to three and an eighth. And uh, you know now we got we got more money spare. We got a cheaper payment, and um, yeah, we almost paid that house off before we sold it. So. Yep. But like from 2005, if that went on the market today, it would be worth probably double what we paid for it. Um, it, it appreciated a lot, and that kind of concerns me a little bit. How do you feel about the inflation we're hearing, uh, we're seeing? Sorry, and I know you're up in um, you're in Kansas, up there, Kansas City. Um but Yeah. So, what do you feel? I, I was going to say you're up in Missouri, and then I realised I didn't know which side of the river you were on, and I <laughs> definitely didn't want to offend you because I know those guys are really, really <laughs> stuck about which side of the river they're on. Because Kansas City, believe it or not, is not in Kansas, which was a big shock to me when I showed up in Kansas City once. Um, Well, there
1: actually is there we've got this state line thing, and there's a mm -hmm. road called state line. Yes. And so actually, so so this Kansas City, the city of Kansas City, there's actually a KCK and a KC Mo. There you go. So but but I'm I'm in Lee Summit, Missouri, and I'm south of the river. But um (laughs) anyway, you
0: don't fight with those guys. But the the (laughs) thing
1: about values and, Mm -hmm. and the market that we're in, we're in this market where you know multiple offers and you know you got to pay 20,000 over asking mm-hmm. and things like that the thing about this market in my opinion is that it will correct itself at some point but i don't necessarily see values declining mm-hmm. i think that right now it's just a matter of inventory yeah it really yeah. is we've we've got more buyers than ever i mean if you think about the the home buyer The the kids that are in there, I say kids because I'm old enough to be in another, you know, the kids that are in their thirties saw that crash. And Mm -hmm. so they've been, they've been very uh, young thirties, late twenties, even. Mm -hmm. So they're very cautious with their money.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah.
1: You know, even my daughter, who's 27, she remembers that crash because at the time she was in high school And even though I, even during the crash, you know, I still made a decent living, but my income dropped Mm -hmm. substantially. And I remember I couldn't pay for her tennis lessons and it just mortified me Mm -hmm. that I couldn't pay for her tennis lessons. And then they said, they said, Jill, she wants to be here. Just bring her anyway. We don't care if you pay us. And then I'm like crying because it's like, they were so gracious, but my daughter has always been very cautious with her money because she saw the devastation that that crash had for so many people. You know, we were fine, we didn't lose our house, but so many people did. Oh yeah, I mean- And it was devastating for people.
0: Me personally, I was in the oil field at the time, um, in, in legal. and there was 85 or 90 people working out of our office and every single one of us got laid off. I mean I went from clearing at 28 years old you know I was mid six figures to nothing. And, you know, the initial reaction was panic. It's, you know, am I going to lose my house? What am I going to do? And, you know, luckily um, at the time I'd, I'd got a little savings and I was relatively sensible with my money. And um, I was one of the few that, that, that got to go back to work relatively quickly. I was only out of work for about six weeks. Um, there there were guys in 2008 that never went back to that career. And so I don't think that, that people today understand just the the shock that was running through the entire economy in late 2008 january 2009 and and that was caused by what the collapse of Lehman brothers really really kicked it off but for 90 people that all make mid-five to mid-six figures to get laid off overnight and that was just one town well You know it was a small enough town to where that level of income it affects the hotels and the people that work there it affects the restaurants it affects the bars it affects the gas station like absolutely everything and i don't think that the kids and i say that i'm i'm 41 but like if you think the ones in the late teens and early 20s they won't have any memory of that and how bad it was and i think that um it's funny, it correlates to a, a, the post-war generation in England. My parents grew up in the early 1950s and there was still product rationing going on. So you've got a whole generation of people now that are in their 60s and 70s that are scared to throw anything away still. you know, My dad keeps bits of wire organized by length in certain trays because you never know when you might need a bit of wire. But it's not coming from... It's not coming from him just not being unable to throw away wire. It's coming from the fact that they grew up to where they didn't know if they'd ever be any more wire. And, um, you know, I think we've seen that in that, you know, 25 to kind of 35-year-old range that were the, the, the kids and the teenagers and the, when this was going on. I think they've got some kind of embedded memory within themselves, you know.
1: Yep. And so, so much of it, too, comes from, you know, back then when... When Bill Clinton had his original platform um, and wanted to be president, his original mm-hmm. platform was that lenders were discriminating against too many people and he was going to fix those lenders and everybody oh, gets a house. Yeah. And we all got called in for discrimination training. Yes, And that's where the pendulum really swung where everybody got a house. If you, That's where the stated income, it didn't matter what your credit score was. It didn't just, everybody got a house. And, you know, I think for me, um, everybody doesn't necessarily get to have a house. It's like earned. You need a track (laughs) record of being able to handle your finances properly in order to show that that you can take care of a property and pay Mm -hmm. your mortgage on time. Back then, you know, before that crash, there was so many... Um, you know, uh, bad loans going on and people that just, you know, weren't really fitting any kind of guideline that made sense. Mm -hmm. And we just, we don't have that anymore. And the loan officers that are still in business today, we, we do play much more of an advisory role than, Hey, let's just give you a mortgage just because I want to make a commission.
0: Right. Right.
1: Most of the folks that are in my business now, we really want to make sure that you are getting put in a product and in a price point that does fit you. I have a lot of couples that we have conversations about, can they afford that on just one income?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? And people are really just starting to be wiser about it. Even though price points are higher, incomes are also higher too.
2: Yeah, but
0: I mean, that really is a, that's that's a very eye-opening conversation. Hey, you know, me and my partner, we both make this much money. We can afford this much house. Hey, what happens if somebody gets laid off? What happens if somebody gets sick long term? What happens if somebody's laid up at the house? You know, and uh, those are questions that we don't always think about. So, yeah, good call. You got this uh, fiduciary uh, responsibility over there going on,
2: right?
1: You know, and, and we do have that, whether you're a seller agent, buyer agent, or a loan officer, I have a fiduciary responsibility, not only to the client that I'm serving to put them in a home, mm-hmm. but I also have this relationship with my employer as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. You no, know, I
1: still have to do right by them. Mm-hmm. And so when I turn in a loan and I'm writing out my notes to the underwriter, I will put in there just a hundred percent of the time. I believe this loan is a good risk for our firm. Right. And if I can't write those words, then it is not a good deal for anybody and it has to be a win, win, win all the way around.
0: Completely agree, completely, because the last thing you wanna do is write loans that you know may go bad. Um, you know, that, that damages your reputation, it damages your investors, it damages everything. So, and, and then it ends up with a, with a client unable to pay and, and getting kicked out and getting annoyed, so yeah. Um, I could see that. All right. I want to ask you about a quote that I found on your Facebook page. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Talk to me. You'll know it as soon as I say it. It says, the force of average is after you every day, my brothers and sisters. And that's attributable. Attributable. I think I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable there. I'm not sure what that word, how that word's said. But Ryan Steumann, founder of Break Free Academy, said that. The force of average is after you every single day, my brothers and sisters. Tell me a little bit about how you discovered Break Free Academy and your journey through it and what it's done for your um, mindset and your business.
1: That is a great question. Interestingly enough, I have always throughout my career had some type of coaching program. My coaching days go way back, even in the 1980s, um, Pratt was his name. He was the first mortgage loan officer coach, but I've always, always, always had some type of coaching, but it was always about how to be a better loan officer.
0: Can I stop you right there? So Jill is telling us she has had coaching repeatedly over many years. I did not discover coaching until just a few years ago. And for me, it was life-changing. I wish, Jill, I discovered it at the same time as you. So anybody listening that's thinking about coaching, take it from Jill, She it is the way to go. Take it from me, I wish I'd discovered it earlier. Sorry for interrupting your story, Jill. That is hugely important to me, that people understand how life-changing it can be to reach out to somebody and get an education in the things you're trying to do. Sorry about cutting you off there. <laughs>
1: No, I actually appreciate that you did because I never realized before how powerful and impactful all of that was to me and my career, but it kept me at the top of the producer's charts for decades. It really did because they always taught me how to be a better loan officer, different questions to ask rephrase it this way Mm -hmm. and that's probably going back to what we talked about earlier about I can ask questions of people and they just you know blurt out their life story but in answer to your question so I've always had some type of coaching and there came a point in my life a few years ago where I just I really wanted coaching outside of just being a loan officer because I'm a really 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 good loan officer but I also need I, I want some other business viewpoints mm-hmm. of it, because I've been writing, but I'm not published. I have all these books inside my soul that aren't published. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been talking about doing a podcast for three years, but didn't know what to do. <laughs> and so it was through uh, t- some other coaching and Jessica Stroud and I were in this other coaching program. Oh, she's wonderful. And then, yes, she is. She's adorable. And she, but she left, she went somewhere else. And then I followed her journey. And she ended up in Apex, mm-hmm. and she had an event one day. And I showed up at her event, and I was like, "Can you please tell me about this Apex thing that you're in? I see this on your—I believe it was her Facebook." Yeah. And and so since she and I had been in a different coaching program together, I was you like, know, "I, sh- I should have made
0: that connection because I know you're in the same market." I never mm-hmm. made that connection one bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. So she immediately um, she she texted Drewby and said, "You need to talk to my friend Jill." Mm-hmm. And Papal, here I am. And what I've learned from this group, because yeah, what's what's it kid, done for you? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, it's you know I don't want to say oh it changed my life, but this has absolutely changed my damn life. Changed mine. I mean, look <laughs> yeah, at me. Look,
0: look at us sitting on a podcast. You're like, how do I start a podcast? I don't know. Talk to your friends and yeah. record it.
1: <laughs> you know, and the thing about me that I know a lot of people are really surprised at is I'm really very shy at heart.
2: I you don't know, believe that for a I second. Can... <laughs>
1: I know right <laughs> but mm-hmm. you know but I could I could just sit at home alone and be just absolutely just a happy little camper mm-hmm. but but I can't right so I've what I've had to learn is how to get rid of and shed that that outer shell of wanting to just hunker down and be alone and you know sing and write and listen to music So what Apex has taught me is to lose the fear, lose the voices inside my head, to rewire those voices in my head. And it's been so powerful because I have have a book editor and I'm writing my book. I have a podcast, Little Tweaks, Giant Wins. Little Tweaks, Giant Wins is about just that. It's about having people come and tell their stories of the crap they've been through, how they got past it, and giving you inspiration Mm -hmm. so that you can make little tweaks in your life consistently that will, you know, create giant wins for you to be better. That's really what it's about. And then every other Monday, so twice a month, we do drop something in there. Mm -hmm. We call it mortgage queen Mondays. So it's a little (laughs) snippet of something that can help you on the real estate side.
2: Well,
0: while we're on the topic then, um, the littlest tweak that I've ever done that's given me the biggest win consistently is learning to understand that happiness came from gratitude and practicing writing down things that I was grateful for and then and I'm bad at this one because I I do beat myself up a little bit but then every evening reflecting on the wins for the day and what you've accomplished. What is your favorite little tweak that's led to your biggest win?
1: My biggest little tweak that's led to my biggest win. I've been tweaking for a really long time. (laughs)
0: Do not say, do not say that in a police interview, okay?
1: You good? I'm gonna, I'm gonna rephrase. Um, but you know, but but for me, I have I've tried to just be a little bit better every year. You mm-hmm. know, just be a little bit better. But I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say that a lot of it is is along the lines of gratitude. It's it's my reflection, my inner reflection. It's my it's my conversations with God. It's being grateful for the fact that I'm vertical again today. Yes. You know, every morning when I wake up, the first thing that I think in my brain is, what day is it? What's (laughs) on my calendar? And (laughs) it's true. Um, But then I think to myself, I say my little prayer and, Mm -hmm. and then I just, I give my gratitude. I'm just, I'm grateful for, I can, I can look out the window. I'm great. Oh, it's a sunny day. I'm grateful for the sun. I'm grateful for the flowers. I'm grateful for my bed. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for my, my people and my tribe. And it's just the little things in life that, that I just, I'm grateful for people. So much of what keeps me going is just, it's people. People are fascinating. And yeah, my, my tweak is just to try to be a little bit better every day, try to help one more person. If I can just give, give my smile to one person who had a frown, then that was a big win.
0: I love it, and um, it's so simple. It's so yes. simple. Have you, you know, most people don't realize that you you get what you put out, you get what you give. Have you ever tried walking down the street with a frown and seeing how many people frown at you? <laughs> They'll all frown no, I've back. I've never
1: tried that, I just.
0: <laughs> but if I guarantee it, if, if yeah. you walk down the street and you smile at every single person, you're trying to give away that smile, you won't, okay. it, everybody will give it back. And just by making that one little tweak, it can yeah. really, really set up your attitude for the whole day. Um, yeah. So whenever I'm in a bad mood, I deliberately go and smile at people. <laughs> got I sound like a serial killer, don't I? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I go no, and smile at, at people, <laughs>
0: Yeah, <you> now, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't think I'm left so much recording an episode <laughs> for a podcast.
1: Oh my God, I love it. That's so, what we're here for. You know, I, but but here's the thing too, is, no. you know, I, I, a lot of people tell me, oh, Jill, there's no way that you are 61 and a half years old. Oh, I am every what? bit of 61 I, and a half years old. Well,
0: I wouldn't believe it, but your <laughs> Facebook profile tells me what year you graduated high school in. But looking right? at you, <laughs> no. I'm thinking like early 50s, but well done. Wow.
1: Well, but you know, I... I People ask me my secret. What's my secret? Well, I started my skincare routine since I was 20 years old, but the rest of it, it's love and laughter. If I didn't have laughter in my life, I I would not be just full of joy and and love. We just we have to we have to just dish out love everywhere we go.
0: Well, that's how, that's how you love get loved back. Yeah, that's how you get it back. And to, to my never-ending shame, it took me 39 of my 41 years to discover that. You know, I wish I'd found it earlier. Uh, maybe I could use a skincare routine too. But uh, <laughs> so, nice. uh, so, yeah, all right. We're, we're, we're getting towards the end of this. We're not out of time yet, but we're getting there. I want to know a little bit now about what the future holds for Jill. What do you see happening in six or eight months as this book comes out and this podcast grows? Where are you going, Jill?
1: My ideal world and where I want to be in two to three years is I want to be more just actively running of of the team Mm -hmm. and having loan officers underneath me to handle the day-to-day, the in and outs of working, physically working on the loans. I want to just be out there in the world, connecting with people and mm-hmm. connecting people together. I want to have, and i and I have it a little mapped out where this is step one. I really want to have a course or courses that I help young loan officers and young realtors to mm-hmm. learn this industry, because we have to teach the next generation how to sustain a 30 or 40 year career in this business. And you do that with certain things. One of which is doing what's right for the client, Mm -hmm. right? Doing what's right for the consumer so that we put them in the right vehicles of real estate and mortgage. So I I have an outline of a course, so I'm working on that. So that's what I want to be. I just want to be helping all the people and help as many people as I can to make great decisions about their real estate and mortgage.
0: Man, that sounds incredible. That sounds, and don't don't lose that laugh either, you know, make sure
1: that- <laughs> Are you kidding, never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, my man and I, we literally just, we wake up giggling and we fall asleep giggling. We just do.
0: Is this before or means... after you've, you figure out what day it is and what's on your calendar?
1: We do... <laughs> After, I have to wake up slowly.
0: So Tuesday is funnier than Friday, or no? All right, I'll stop. I'm sorry.
1: Every, every every day is just a, as we used to say, a barrel of monkeys. Every day is just love and laugh, love and laugh. And if you don't have that in your life, then please go find it because that's what keeps you young and happy, and that's what makes our world go round. And I I still put world peace on my Christmas wish list.
0: Oh, that's that's just splendid, and normally, normally I ask, you know, if if Jill now could talk to Jill twenty, thirty years ago, what would she say? But I think that last quote just covers it. You know, it's love and laughter, and, and you know, don't take it, it, it too seriously and put it out there, man. You know,
2: yeah, it is. All,
0: all right, Miss Jill. <laughs> Tell the people listening where they can find you online, where they can follow you, and the name, again, once again, of your amazing podcast.
1: Uh, thank you. I'm, I am getting better. The podcast has surprised me quite a bit. My podcast is, is called Little Tweaks, Giant Wins, and I'm on all the podcast platforms. You can find me at my website at jillunderwood.com. And... Uh, Facebook, just I think it's Jill Marie Underwood. It is I'm Jill Marie Facebook. Underwood.
0: I'm looking at your yeah. Facebook page right now. That's yeah. where I got your. Uh, that's did where I got all this dirt <laughs> on you. It's from Facebook.
1: Did you Did you see my picture from 1979? I, I did, did a back Thursday today. Oh
0: no, I'm on the About Me page. Hold on, we're gonna we're gonna go get that picture and we'll, we'll put it up as your. Uh, well, maybe we'll put that up for the uh, for the show notes picture. But uh, no, I'm on your About Me page. I'm doing the old stalking and stuff to 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 oh, do that. So stalk me.
1: Yes. stalk me, baby.
0: Careful now. (laughs) All right. So, as we wrap this up, guys, do me a favor. Go check out Jill's podcast, Little Tweaks, Giant Wins. You can find that over on iTunes and Spotify and all the places that cool podcasts are at, just like this one. Jill, you got an Instagram they can follow? I am Jill Underwood. I am Jill Underwood on Instagram. And while you're over there, do us a favor. Follow our Instagram too. It's at Small Business Surgeon. Jill. Thank you so much. That laugh, that <laughs> smile. I'm this video. I'm gonna have to put the video out for this one because I want everybody to see just what a wonderful, wonderful human being you are. You've been one of my uh, one of my favorite guests. So thank you for coming on. And uh, guys, I want to thank you all so much for listening. You'll have a wonderful week, a great Monday. And as always, if you've gotten anything out of the show, do me a favor. Go follow us at Small Business Surgeon. Hit the subscribe button on iTunes. Leave us a review and do all that good stuff. Help a few more people to find the show and hit the message. I will see you guys Friday with another episode of Friday Fire. You'll be good, stay safe, and have a great week.
2: (laughs) This has been the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. If you made it this
0: far, you clearly liked it. So go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps people find the show and spread the good word. Share it with friends and follow us at Small Business Surgeon on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you for your follow-up next week. The Small Business Surgeon was recorded at Texas Media Foundry in downtown Bryan,
2: Texas. Check them out at txfoundry.com. Ooh, yeah.